Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. I get this phone call, and I say, what's going on? And she said, I have to tell you something. Everything did change. For the worst, in the worst way possible. Welcome to Betrayal, everyone. I'm your host, Darren Karp. This episode's betrayal involves one of the most heartbreaking scenarios of them all, when it's your own flesh and blood. When a young woman is forced to choose to do the right thing or betray her own family, the tables of betrayal are turned in the most unlikely of ways. We're going to look deep into the mind and behavior of a man who was showing signs of unsettling behavior as early as adolescence. And for that, I had to bring on someone who could help break down the details of who this guy really is. She's a true crime documentary producer, journalist, and TV host, people. She does it all. You've probably seen her some of your favorite ID shows, including her most recent one, Unraveled, with her co-host and my friend, Billy Jensen. It's the incredibly talented and lovely Alexis Linkletter. How you doing, Alexis? Thanks for being here. I'm good. Thank you for having me. That was so sweet. All those things you said. If only oh, well, they were all true. <laughs> they well, they are absolutely all true. You come with a, with a stacked resume. You've produced a lot of interesting true crime stuff. Can you tell the listeners what some of your most notable work is throughout your career? What are you most proud of? Definitely the Unraveled series and the Unraveled podcast. I think that uh, the first season we did of that was Unraveled Long Island Serial Killer. I worked on that mm. for like six years before we were able to make that happen. So definitely that is my favorite kind of body of work so far. Well, you know, I've, I've, I've been in the true crime world for quite some time now. And the number one question I always get asked is kind of like, how do you separate sort of the gore and the horribleness of true crime uh, with like maybe a happy personal life? You know, you spent hundreds of hours, years interviewing victims, families, convicted criminals. How do you sort of separate the emotional aspect of all of it? I mean, because the genre is heavy, to say the least. I wish I was better at it. I because. The people that I speak to, I mean, you really do absorb some of that trauma. I mean, therapy, exercise, <laughs> yes. um, happy <laughs> movies occasionally, you know, but it's it's very hard to separate. You get very immersed in it. But honestly, I wouldn't have it any other way. Well, you actually hosted an after show about today's case. Is that right? 
Yes, for uh, Discovery Plus, it's called Talking Evil, and it was Evil Lives Here's After Show. So we did kind of a deep dive on the dynamics that we're going to be covering in this case. So I'm super excited to do it with you. Well, great. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm glad you're on the show today. I want your experience to kind of give the perfect color commentary to this because this is an unsettling betrayal that I think a lot of us are going to walk away with being a little shocked by. But this is the case of Eric Nance. Belinda Christopher is the seventh youngest of eight children in her household in rural Alabama. Belinda comes from a traditional middle-class family and grows up with so many siblings, including her older brother, Eric, who's the fifth youngest in the family. And starting from a very early age, Belinda knows something isn't quite right about Eric. So much so that she doesn't even like standing in front of him in family photos of all the children. She doesn't like having her back to him. She doesn't trust him. People often refer to Eric as the young, handsome brother of the family, but Belinda knows there's something deeper and darker going on with him. To most, he just looks like a handsome teenage young man that's polite and standing there with his family. But he was not like the rest of us. He's like a chameleon. He could turn into whatever he thought somebody needed him to be in order to get whatever it is he needed from them. We're going to get into the details of this disturbing betrayal, a lot of betrayal, actually, in this case. But if he was acting this way at an early age, I mean, even before he even reached his teen years, one kind of has to wonder what's going on with him, right? Because there is a little bit nature nurture. But with all these kids, he seems to be kind of the outlier of all these children. So I imagine that they should be taking close watch at him in particular. Sure, especially if his behavior continues to be problematic as he's aging, because kids generally age out of that and they learn to stay in line and listen to their parents and authority figures. But if that's not happening, he's worth taking a closer look at. Well, speaking of a closer look, one particular event really changes the way that Belinda looks at Eric. Belinda receives a duck as a pet from a local neighbor who had a farm. And this case particularly bothers me. This instance particularly bothers me just because I'm an animal lover. Uh, But one day while Belinda is reading a book, she hears a commotion coming from outside of her bedroom window. A few minutes later, Eric comes into her room and tells her that the dogs got to her duck and presents it to her in a shoebox. Now, Belinda calls for her mom, who runs into the room shocked to find the duck actually still alive in the box. And Belinda's mom demands that Eric put the duck out of its misery as quickly as possible. But Belinda notices something a little different about the moment. She notices that the entire time Eric is standing in a room with the suffering duck, there is no emotion behind his eyes at all whatsoever. And, you know, I have an older brother when I was younger. He obviously liked to tease me. I think he liked being right. He probably liked to see me probably lose in a lot of ways, maybe suffer a little bit. But for this, I don't think presenting this hurt animal or this almost on its deathbed animal is this other level of cruelty, I think, that is not natural within children. I could see a brother maybe wanting to protect a younger sibling from seeing this, even if they get happy at the thought of maybe their younger sister being disturbed by it. Yeah, I'm going to have to say it's um, definitely pushes the envelope when we're talking about kids taunting their siblings, you know what I mean? And we've seen children like testing morality boundaries, right? Like hurting animals, hurting their siblings. But this is really something a lot more sinister and kind of advanced for a child. 
Right. He's getting joy out of her pain, which I think is uh, probably, you know, hitting that morality limit maybe a little bit too much. Well, minutes later, Eric returns to a distraught Belinda, of course, and shares some even more unsettling news to her. He tells her that the duck is dead now, but that he buried it alive. And not only that, but that it wasn't the dogs that got the duck. It was him. He actually ran over the duck with a lawnmower. So one of the signs of many eventual criminals is that they sort of start by torturing kind of these small, helpless animals. Not in every case, but in a lot of cases that we see from kind of, you know, people who develop serial killer habits and stuff like this. This behavior sort of indicates a psychological issue going on with Eric, right? I mean, this is kind of diagnosed. This has to be something crazy going on here. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the biggest indicators that there's a lack of empathy is this ability to harm animals with ease. And I think that's what we're seeing here. And he's reveling in two aspects of pain as he's doing this. I mean, he hurts, physically hurts this duck and he's getting joy out of causing his sister this immense emotional pain too. So it's a really disturbing display of what's going on in his brain here in this incident. And I imagine, maybe you can shed some light on this, but I imagine that people can, that kind of start this behavior early, the reason that they kind of go to animals is one, they can't talk back and be their permanently helpless compared to human beings. So it's kind of an easy target for them to maybe learn techniques. Is that right? Or testing their joy of other people's pain, perhaps? Yeah, I think what you say is true. And then I also think it's just a matter of access. I mean, children who grew up to be killers or or evil, they like to dominate. And what they have access to are creatures smaller than them. So in this case, it would be her sister's pet. It happens to family dogs, horses. Really, you know, they go down to a pond, catch frogs, whatever they can get their hands on. They're experimenting with what they're feeling or not feeling when they hurt these animals. And I feel like this is a textbook example of that. Yeah, very, very textbook. And that that's that's so true. But things go from bad to worse when it comes to Eric's interest in inflicting pain on others. Belinda was unfortunately often the recipient of Eric's physical bullying around the house. And while this is to be expected from siblings to some extent, like I mentioned, I did have an older brother. Part of that was kind of fighting things out in the house. Belinda's experience seems to be elevated to something way more serious than I think what we're naturally seeing among a sibling rivalry. Eric pins Belinda's arms behind her head while twisting and pulling. This isn't just sibling rivalry here, guys. It's torture that leaves Belinda screaming and writhing in pain. And while this is happening, Eric is laughing about it. Belinda talks to her mom about it in a serious manner, hoping that her mom will intervene when Eric does this over and over again. But nothing seems to change. So Belinda essentially gives up on talking to her mom about this pain because she gets absolutely nowhere with it. You know, it might be worth noting that sometimes parents don't know the significance of this kind of pain and abuse from siblings, considering if they're not there to maybe witness it firsthand. You know, I I often know that if my brother was picking on me, my parents would maybe yell at both of us to kind of knock it off because they couldn't guarantee it was not me not, you know, initiating it. I mean, many sort of just chalk this up to siblings being siblings, but it's obviously having lasting psychological effects on Belinda, who's crying out for help, not getting any of it. And let's not forget, Eric is five years older than Belinda. So there's something to be said about that. Doing things like this when you're significantly older is also extremely disturbing. What I wonder for you, Alexis, is do you think that there's a reason that he's targeting this specific sibling over maybe younger, maybe her younger sister, perhaps, or even older siblings? Do you have any insight into that? 
You know, there may be something to what you said about if there's younger siblings, this one might be just in the sweet spot for him, where if they're too young, he gets scolded and punished. Mm. Uh, And this might be just the age where the parents are just brushing it off as normal sibling fighting. Um, Or there's something about his sister, whether it's he's developing this very, you know, early dislike for women and it starts at this age. I mean, it's hard to know why he's targeting her, but I think what we can for sure know is that it's access to her and uh, he's getting something out of it. It does something for him. And whether that's like sexual or just it's titillating in some way, who's to say? But he's getting something out of it, which is why he's continuing to do it. Right. And to your point, it's hard to know the family dynamic specifically, but access is huge here. And that sweet spot is probably really important. And as Erica and Belinda get older, the intensity of the ways Eric hurts Belinda gets worse, including many times when Belinda is pulled underwater during a pool day and nearly drowns because Eric is standing on top of her while she's underwater. There was a pool that was just a few blocks from our house. I love to get in the water with everybody else, but I could be playing. And then all of a sudden, you know, there goes my hair and I'm being pulled under. I knew immediately that it was Eric. And underwater I went. I was at the bottom of the pool and I could not get up. He's standing on me. My eyes were open and I could see him through the water, him looking down at me. I'm thinking, I'm gonna drown and nobody's gonna know I'm gonna drown. And then all of a sudden, I could see there was somebody else's legs there. Somebody pushed him, moved him off of me. Wow, so things escalate even further as Eric gets older as well, with frequent visits by the police. Everything from vandalizing property to allegedly robbing businesses. Eric is taking his pain and misery beyond just torturing his younger sister, Belinda. Now he's actually taking it sort of out into the real world with other people. As an adult, Eric is a charming and handsome man who seems to always have a girlfriend. He has a way with the ladies. Belinda notices as an adult that when Eric has a girlfriend he really cares about, he becomes a better person. He seems happy, focused, less dangerous overall. But it seems like Eric's temperament relied heavily on these relationships because once a girl breaks up with Eric and breaks his heart, he takes it very Badly. After one breakup, Eric takes things so badly, he decides to drive by his ex's house, knocking on her door and asking for answers. Okay, talk about level five red flag. I don't know if you've ever had an ex like this. I mean, certainly we've experienced maybe a lot of texting going on, maybe a number of calls when you're sort of hurt and heartbroken and you want answers and you demand closure. But this is not normal behavior, right? This is major red flags everywhere. Yeah, what you're seeing here is just like absolute lack of boundaries, Um, you know, violating people's personal space, unwanted, you know, attention. It's just it's not great. And the fact that he operates really well when he's in a relationship and then falls apart when he's not really demonstrates like on the simplest terms that he's not a complete person. Like he needs somebody Hmm. to to keep him normalized and keep him balanced. And that's not how, you know, that age old saying you can't you know, be with somebody else until you're whole, you know, that's him. And he's he never should have been in a relationship. This guy's got so many issues to tackle before he could ever handle being around somebody else. Yeah, I often say you have to say I before you say I love you. And on top of what you said, it's about that rejection, specifically from a woman. He can't be told no. He has to have things on his own terms. 
And finally, one day, Eric gets his life together and moves out of the home he shared with his parents and seven siblings. Maybe this is a good sign. Belinda later spoke publicly about the weight this took off her shoulders and what it meant to her personal life, saying he started working in Oklahoma. And when Eric left home, it it was like I could breathe. It was a relief. It was almost liberating because I didn't have to live in fear. Like such psychological abuse going on right now, Alexis. If she felt the sense of release when someone moves out of her own home, let alone a sibling, it's clear that she's constantly under severe distress. And I'm wondering if the rest of her family kind of picked up on that. Or do you think it was isolated to her? No, I think that, well, a really interesting thing about what happens in dysfunctional households, it's, I don't remember who said this to me, this is not my quote, but someone said to me, you know, dysfunction can't see dysfunction. Whatever is happening under your roof when you're a child is so normalized because nobody's acting like anything is wrong because it's not wrong to them, you know? And his parents, for all we know, could have grown up in a similar household where this chaos was normal, but it really seems like his entire family was probably walking on eggshells around him his entire life, afraid to anger him, afraid to set him off. They had to have known about the animal abuse. They know they knew about what was happening to Belinda and everyone was just, let's not make it worse. Let's appease him and get through it till he moves out. So I'm sure it was a huge weight, but you know, we shouldn't be enabling children like this because they just get worse. Well, right. And it's sort of this generational abuse. I mean, we don't really know much about what the parents experienced, but certainly from the kids, you only know what your reality is right in front of you. It, you know, most people don't know what's kind of happening behind closed doors. So to your point, they could have just felt like this was, you know, every family has kind of your weird uh, sibling who does this kind of stuff. But once Eric moves out of the house, Belinda is finally at an age where she can date and meet people without the fear of what her brother is going to do. And just when things start to feel normal for her, more drama unfolds with Eric. And this time it's even more serious. One day, Belinda hears one of her older brothers answer the phone to find out that Eric has been arrested again, but this time it didn't feel like a burglary. Belinda spoke publicly about the moment she asked her older brother what happened, and he broke the news to her. He told me the truth and said that Eric was accused of raping and beating two women at gunpoint. Eric had denied that he raped these girls. He had said it was consensual, but I believe that he did it. And Eric pled guilty to rape of the two girls and was sentenced to 23 years in prison. Wow, as sad as it is to say, you could almost see this coming, giving all the sort of the disturbing details we know about Eric's backstory. Oh, absolutely. And just the power. I mean, rape is not about sex. Rape is about power. And what he's demonstrated since he was a child, you know, dominating small creatures, dominating his siblings, you know, then when he becomes a teenager, he becomes a criminal. You know, he doesn't have boundaries. He likes to dominate. Rape is a, you know, not totally shocking next step for him since he went unchecked. Yeah, this is a this is a lifetime of tragedy and chaos. And I'm glad you sort of brought up the power dynamic here, especially with rape, that it doesn't seem to be a sexual thing for him. It's absolutely about power. Well, Eric is sentenced to 23 years in prison, but serves only 11 of those years before he's released on good behavior, ironically. And when you kind of take this into the back of your mind, now, granted, every state kind of has different rules for how they're going to sentence things. He obviously knew he needed to get out of prison, so he kind of found a way. But do you kind of chalk it up to him being a very good charmer and a manipulator. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. And I think it's a very interesting thing to observe when we look at someone like him, we assume he's got some mental illness. There's got to be some driving force here. But when someone can stop 
for self-preservation, like to get out of prison or when the cops are close to catching them, we see evil people stop, which means they can control it. This isn't some, you know, force that they're unable to to control should they need to. So I think that's another interesting thing to observe here where it's like, oh, he got in trouble. He, his hand is slapped. He's like, I'm going to play nice until I can get out and do it again. So there's a big difference here. If the same act of, of raping and or murdering someone, there is a person who foreknows not what, what they do and doesn't recognize that this is wrong and has no empathy and is just going to continue doing it. Then there's the person, like you're saying, for Eric, who knows sort of exactly what he's doing, knows exactly that it's wrong and sort of getting pleasure from getting away with that wrongness from the start, right? That's two different types of criminals in a way. Yeah, and I think there are ones that are just sort of like, we've got the Bundys, right? Like just this lust-driven killers. Who it just and just can't stop, just goes on frenzied, you know, sprees. But then we have someone like this who has known how to how to not get in too much trouble. Like he went after Belinda. He didn't go after an old, older sibling, right? Like he right. knew, you know, a duck. What is what is his mom going to do? He didn't go after the, you know, the like the family dog. Like he went after he kind of knew how to not push too far. Right. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, he's calculating for sure. Always coming up with an excuse. Well, Belinda yeah. actually spoke publicly about this time in her life when everything started to change. He was released on good behavior, which almost is unthinkable to me. So many people thought he had changed and that he was doing so well and had a great job and was staying out of trouble. You would like to believe that he was going to make it and and be a different person. But a few months later, everything did change for the worst and in the worst way possible. So excited to finally have Eric back around, Belinda's mom sets up a family reunion of sorts. You know, I I, I sort of understand uh, you're sort of for a parent, they're always your children, no matter what. I mean, and no matter how horrible they are. So I kind of empathize a little bit with where his mother's coming from here. She doesn't want to admit maybe that her son is a violent person. And while it may have been an exciting moment for Belinda's mom, Belinda finds herself uncomfortable and disgusted by the sight of Eric. I mean, remember, this guy caused mental anguish for years and her. This could be highly triggering. There may be even some PTSD kind of going on just at the sight of him. That certainly can happen. But it doesn't take long for Eric to get back into his disturbing behavior. Just a few months after being let out of prison, Belinda gets a phone call. But this time, it's from one of her sisters. It wasn't but a few months after I get this phone call, and it's my oldest sister. And she said, I need you to wake up. And I said, I'm awake. She goes, no, I need you to sit up, and I need you to wake up. And I said, OK, what's going on? And she said, I have to tell you something. Eric was arrested for murder. So one night, 18-year-old Julie Heath's car breaks down on the side of the road. Somebody stops to pick her up to help her, but that is the last time she is ever seen alive. Julie Heath's body is found a week later by a hunter with her throat slashed and with some of her clothes on her body turned inside out, which is a pretty unique and interesting detail here. Though Eric has been arrested for the murder of Julie Heath, he denies murdering her. 
He claims that a few guys from Oklahoma were after him and that they kidnapped Julie Heath and forced Eric to watch them kill her. When you first heard this, what what was your response to that sort of excuse by him? I mean, is that possible? Anything's possible. Is it likely? No. I mean, but he obviously thinks he's really smart and maybe can pull one over on the cops. But yeah, it's not good. It's not great. And is it is it that, in your opinion, do you think that he thinks he's really smart or does he think that everyone else is not as smart as him? I mean, what is it there? Like... I mean, he's just a narcissist. Right. He's just a narcissist. So either or, depending on who's in front of him, I mean, he's always going to think he's the smartest person in the room. But the idea that he thinks he's so cunning and charming that someone will just believe this is, is so delusional. Well, he claims that these guys planted evidence on him and so that he would take the fall for the murder and that if he didn't take the fall, they would be back to murder his whole family. This is a very convenient excuse. This unlikely story obviously doesn't sit well with Belinda, who doesn't believe a word of it. You know, I think uh, history has sort of proven this to her. Remember, Belinda being the subject of Eric's previous abuse, it's probably very clear to her that this is something he could and would most likely do. But nonetheless, Eric is back and in prison where things take another startling turn. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to PrettyLitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. In an attempt to relieve her mother from the burden of visiting Eric, Belinda visits and even makes arrangements with the sheriff to bring him dinner for Christmas in the coming days. But Eric tells Belinda that it's not food that he wants from her. He wants her to do him a favor. And when Belinda asks what is it that he wants, he tells her something that really takes her by surprise. 
So Eric tells her that he wants her to go get the murder weapon and destroy it. Well, shocked and overwhelmed by the favor and the admission for that matter, Belinda stumbles to even respond to this. Belinda recalls this moment very vividly. I had to look at this as my brother just admitted to me that he actually killed this girl. And this is the way that he did it, by telling me to get a murder weapon and destroy it. Why is he telling me this? Why is he asking me to do this? He didn't say what the murder weapon was. The actual place where he said it was, was an old abandoned gas station. I mean, okay, this is a great point that Belinda makes. Why of all people, who, why would he pick Belinda, who has this clearly tumultuous past with him as kids, who was the target of harassment and abuse? I mean, did he just know, do you think that he just sort of knew he could take advantage of her, that she was scared of him? What is your take on this? I think you nailed it. I think he assumed that he instilled enough fear in her that she would jump when he said. And I think that abusers think that they're doing like grooming, think that they have somebody under the control because this guy likes power. I mean, it's was demonstrated when we knew he liked to rape, which he which he did, you know, so he thinks that he's got power over her, you know, and I'm sure there were veiled threats involved. Like if you don't do this, you know, even if it was just an inference, I think he assumed she was very afraid of him. And, you know, uh, perhaps no one would believe her anyway, even if she's told the mother, because she is sort of, you know, he has kind of created this ruse around not believing Belinda with the abuse. Because in my opinion, when I first was kind of uncovering this, I was thinking he should have asked his mother because she seems to almost be willing to do anything to save her son, that she would probably be the one likely to do this. So, but to your point, I mean, perhaps he did think in his mind that he was grooming Belinda. Well, no, and guys like this have mommy issues. Like, guys like this would be so afraid for their mom to think less of them. You know what I mean? So for whatever reason, like, that indicates to me that there's a mom problem here. And because you think, okay, my mom lets me get away with, with anything. I should go to her. But there's something here that he doesn't really want his mom to see him differently, is what I'm thinking. Which is interesting because even earlier about him not really having boundaries and not respecting them, he clearly sees this power dynamic between him and his mother, even when they were kids. You know, he would always like be the good boy in front of the mother. So he kind of knew that there was a boundary there. Uh, Maybe it was just a kind of a tighter, tighter, stronger wall than with Belinda, to your point. Well, despite the disgust and obvious trauma that Belinda has for Eric and from Eric, she finds herself in maybe an even more surprising situation. She agrees and says she'll do it. Belinda, even to this day, still isn't sure why she decided to help Eric out in such a disturbing and unsettling way. She says this. Part of me thought, this is ridiculous. I really don't know what possessed me to go ahead and go. I really don't. I mean, I have asked myself that question for so many years. Belinda drives to the location Eric sends her, an abandoned gas station in town, and has second thoughts on helping him. But just as she is about to get back in her car, she notices an empty box of cigarettes on the ground, the kind that Eric actually used to smoke before he was in prison. And when she kicks it over, she finds a box cutter underneath with what appear to be clear blood stains and even some small strands of hair that had kind of gotten caked on with the blood. The revelation of the potential murder weapon makes Belinda sick to her stomach, and she even throws up just at the sight of it. At this point, she knows that this is the exact murder weapon that was used to take a young girl's life by the hands of her own brother. 
And not sure of what to do with the box cutter, she picks it up with the sleeve of her sweater and puts it in the trunk of her car. Now, for me right now, Alexis, I'm thinking, you know, by doing this, you're kind of an accessory to the crime now, right? Because you're potentially hiding evidence. We don't know what she's going to do, but this is, she's now implicating herself here. Very illegal. (laughs) Yes. Highly illegal. Very illegal. illegal. Yes. Yes. Disclaimer, highly illegal. Don't do this. Do Do not do this at home, people. And- By the time Belinda gets into her car to drive away, she knows exactly what she's going to do with it. Belinda drove straight to her mother's house where she was expecting the call from Eric. Remember, there weren't cell phones at this point in the early 90s, so it's landline only. And when asked if she burned and disposed of the box cutter, Belinda lies and says yes before Eric says, thank you for the Christmas present. Well, what a Christmas present that would be, Alexis. I mean, he's he has no problem implicating his own sister in his own crime here uh, and seems to find no remorse about it. And no. he's not even, and he believes her. And he believes her. Yeah, and you know, the fact that he's willing to implicate his family just shows the depths of his like narcissism. It's like he doesn't care that he's dragging his innocent sister into this crime, just completely self-serving every step here. Such a narcissist, to your point. Well, despite telling Eric that she had burned and disposed of it, Belinda had other plans. And her plans, you ask? She's taken the box cutter straight to the prosecutor's office, but not before her mom tries to stop her, asking her why she would ever want to do something like this to her brother. Do you, in a way, feel for the mother at at, at this point? I mean, as wrong as it is to kind of try and stop Belinda from clearly doing the right thing— She also kind of realizes in a balance of that, that this is going to be put the nail in the coffin for her son and she's probably never going to see her son again. Is there any empathy to be had for the mother here? I feel for the mother of every criminal who ends up in jail. I think it's completely awful to to think that you had some part in raising a person who could do something like this. So I think that's devastating. That being said, I mean, my mom is a lawyer And she was like, if you ever end up in jail, you are staying there. Like I have complete (laughs) I have parents that are like you. You had everything you needed in life to to do the right thing. And if you turn out awful, that's on you and you're going to pay for it. It's just like I would never help a child break the law, you know, but obviously this is exactly why he became the person he became because his mom is trying to get him out of trouble. She's looked the other way his entire life. So I empathize with her from a human standpoint, but she's flawed and she is an enabler of her son and she's contributed to this. Well, absolutely. And I'm thinking for me, I would think I would be scared as Belinda because now having moved the evidence, even to do the right thing with it, quote unquote, I could still be implicated in this crime, right? I mean, I'm still kind of part of it. I mean... Technically, like if a prosecutor wanted to go after you, but I think they would empathize, especially, you know, learning about the dynamics between them. And uh, I think, you know, if you do the right thing, people are willing to be a little bit more understanding about you waffling on the right thing. Sure. Um, You know, but... And I understand... I understand Belinda's struggle a lot, too. I mean, we can't underestimate the power of what abuse does to somebody. Like, she was beaten by her brother her whole life, and I'm sure part of her really wanted her brother to love her. So now he's entrusting her with this incredible responsible task that can really help him, and I'm sure she was tempted to do it because I'm sure on some level she wanted to win his love 
after the right. years of abuse. So I empathize with everyone here, but there's a lot, a lot of dysfunction going on here too. Well, that's true. And thank God Belinda, maybe not her mother, but Belinda is certainly trying to do the right thing here. In fact, Belinda recalls the moments that she made this decision and how she handled it with her mom. One of my siblings had said something to my mother about me having the murder weapon in my trunk and that I was going to turn it in. She was in tears. It, it broke my heart. But I had to do what I was raised to do, what was best for my family. And I have a little girl. And if this was my little girl that this happened to, I would want whomever to do the right thing. And that's why I did what I did. Now, Belinda does the right thing and turns the murder weapon in, and then she has the daunting task of telling Eric face-to-face that not only did she turn it in, but she actually lied to him about the task he gave her. While Belinda is standing in front of his cell, Eric tells her that he forgives her, as if she had sort of done something wrong in this weird manipulative scheme here, and then tries to assault her before eventually laughing hysterically. This is a little bit of a, maybe an outrage, a little bit of having a fit, if you will, at this. I feel like he doesn't even know how to handle this anger and disappointment, uh, and he can't really do anything about it because he's behind a jail cell. Yeah, luckily, because he would be a very dangerous person to be around if he had access to other people. I mean, this is sort of like the culmination of his plan is is falling apart. And I I mean, I would be terrified of him at this phase. And I think she is. Even the, even, even the bars, I don't think, are helping her fears here. And as Belinda is leaving, she notices that her mother is talking to Eric's attorney outside of the prison before turning to her and saying, what did you do to my son? Now, Belinda's mother thinks that Eric being behind bars is essentially all her fault, not to mention that Eric's attorney even says to Belinda, you just killed your brother. You put the needle in his arm. Wow, despite all the ethical issues surrounding this case, and I imagine surrounding even a lawyer saying that to somebody, uh, I don't even know how to respond to this. Belinda just can't seem to catch a break even with her own family. I mean, this is to your point about someone who kind of has all the tools to do the right thing, that sometimes it's almost impossible because even her own mother is rejecting her from doing the right thing here. Well, what's so ironic about the mother pointing blame at Belinda is that she's completely projecting and deflecting. This is the mother's fault. And she's pointing the finger at Belinda. Like, you you raised him. Point. You allowed him to get away with this. You made excuses for him. After he was a rapist, you invited him back into the home for a reunion. Like, you wanted to hide the murder weapon. And pointing the finger at Belinda is just ironic. And um, anyone with a healthy brain looking at this, can. this is very transparent And Belinda should run from everyone in her family, because if this is what the dynamics are like with these two siblings, just imagine with the other five. It's really interesting you say that and brought it up, because like what is I mean, obviously, in a court of law, the mother didn't do anything wrong necessarily. There was nothing there was nothing about necessarily the upbringing that said that. But like, should her heart kind of carry the weight of this, in your opinion? I mean, should she feel culpable for what happened? She should, but if she's living in such delusion that she could actually point to Belinda, who did the law-abiding thing, the ethical thing, to help get justice for a murdered woman, if you can point to that as the wrong thing to defend a killer, 
well, then the mom is fatally flawed, frankly, and she'll never understand that she had a role in who this monster became ever. She's not capable. People like this, I like to refer to them, they're limited. They cannot see, like they have these blind spots. They're not capable of this sort of acceptance. Um, It's very sad, but there's no getting through to this woman at this point. Yeah, her moral compass is all sorts of out of whack, just to Mm -hmm. even, that's even a lighter term to say. But eventually, Eric Nance is sentenced to death for the murder of Julie Heath. And Belinda believes that Eric got what he deserved in a lot of ways. I do believe that he deserved the death penalty. He never said he was sorry for what he did. He didn't have the remorse. He wasn't capable of that. But before he is executed, Belinda wants answers for the betrayal. She wants to know why Eric would put her in a position to have to find the weapon, destroy it, and everything else that comes along with hiding the truth behind this horrific murder. And Belinda recalls the absolutely baffling response of their final call together. I said, okay, I need to know. I need to know why you put me in this position to have to turn in a murder weapon and testify against you. Why would you do that to me? And he said, I didn't want to put anybody else in that position. That isn't the answer that I wanted. I said, you don't know me at all. And I said, and I obviously don't know you. And unfortunately, that was our last conversation. He was executed the next evening. You know, I don't know... He, he says he doesn't want to put anybody else in that position. I mean, he's such a manipulator, even in his last words, sort of made her feel like she wasn't even worth his time or, you know, almost that he wanted her to get caught with the weapon. If he was behind bars, she deserved to kind of be behind bars, too. I mean, these two kind of never got along. What is the motive here? What do you think it is? Is it just that Belinda was sort of his final chance because he knew he could manipulate her before? Yeah, I think so. And I think he did not expect her to betray him. I think he believed he had total control over her. And I think that awareness that he didn't, I think he really wanted to punish her. And also, psychopaths and sociopaths do this sort of thing for fun. Sometimes they just do things. They toy with people's emotions. They need a lot of stimulation. They need to be doing the wrong thing. They like to be pushing boundaries. They like to do things for entertainment, frankly. Sometimes there is no motive. So here, there's always been this toxic dynamic between Belinda and Eric. And, you know, it's going to persist till the bitter end, till the day before his execution. Well, Eric Nance was put to death by lethal injection on November 28th, 2005. Belinda had moved on with her life, but had a really hard time with Eric's attorney placing blame on her for his death. His words are a betrayal in their own right, honestly, and she probably has to live with that the rest of her life. But eventually, Belinda overcame the burden and found solace in the fact that she provided some sort of justice for the family and friends of 18-year-old Julie Heath, if nothing else. And okay, like the totality of this story, there's multiple betrayals going on. The mother, Eric, the attorney, even some would say Belinda maybe to Eric. Uh, There is a betrayal there, even though it's kind of the right thing to do. It kind of makes you wonder what was actually wrong with him mentally, because he seems to exhibit these signs at an early age. So this wasn't a crime of passion. It was almost written in the stars, if you will. It was predictable. You know, having recapped this case so many times, Alexis, and and, and diving in and sinking your teeth into it, 
what is kind of your key takeaway here? What can kind of the the listeners maybe take away from all of this? Maybe mental illness, something like that. Well, I think that when you look at Eric as a child, you know, if you're first exhibiting these sociopathic sort of, you know, characteristics like hurting animals or something like that, what we're finding is that really kids can be saved, like with the right nurture. It's Mm. just in this very unfortunate situation where he is demonstrating maybe a nature component where genetically he's born with something a little off and he has no one curbing that behavior at home. In fact, it seems as though the the mom, you know, fanned the flames to a degree. So it's when you have this like really dysfunctional home environment and this genetic predisposition that catastrophe often emerges. And it seems that's what we had here. Because if he had discipline, if he had, you know, love, if he had been checked by his parents, punished, you know, not allowed to abuse his sister, he might have turned it around. You know, people like this who hurt animals when they're kids can grow up to be normal under the right circumstances. But that's not what happened here. I, and I mean, you make such a such a fantastic points. I'm wondering, I'm wondering if it's also about trying to eliminate even publicly maybe the shame of parents dealing with a kid who might have behavioral issues and kind of seeking help, maybe over almost overcompensating for that. You know, that doesn't just because your kid has one bad day or a fit of rage doesn't necessarily signal anything outside of kids being kids and hormones being hormones, but. I imagine that we have to kind of eliminate the stigma of getting help for your children uh, with parents in a lot of ways and therapy and and things like this, right? I mean, that has to be part of it. Yeah. And therapy has shown adults, children, everyone to be overwhelmingly helpful in curbing negative behavior and negative patterns. So there is nothing to be ashamed about. But I do understand, especially back in the 90s, hesitation to to get your kid tangled up in something and then slap a label over them like there's something wrong. I know it was a lot more taboo back then to sort of search for alternative treatments. Uh, we're we're lucky in this day and age, you know, there are so many options and way less stigma associated with, you know, behavioral problems or mental health problems. And I think openness and no, like less shame surrounding those topics can really, you know, empower kids to ask for help, empower parents to ask for help. It should have been red flags all around and his mother chose to overlook them. Yeah, she chose to overlook them, whether it was because she just felt like it was her own embarrassment or the love of her son. But I do want to say sort of believe your kids and trust and verify, of course, don't believe that there's a unicorn kind of flying overhead. But (laughs) it is very important to sort of listen to your kids and trust what they're saying, verify it, but absolutely listen to them. Our hearts obviously go out to Belinda and of course the Heath family who tragically lost someone in all of this. And, you know, the frustrating thing about this case for me is all the ways I think this could have been avoided, which is very unfortunate, Um, whether it's, you know, him not getting out of jail earlier than he was supposed to for bad behavior, the mother kind of picking up on this a lot sooner. So there's just a number of betrayals. This this betrayal or betrayals, I should say, were staggering, to say the least. Alexis, thank you for offering your incredible professional eye to this week's case. You are absolutely wonderful. Remind everyone where they can find you online or listen to your podcast these days. Yes. So two podcasts we have Unravels. We're on season two right now. And uh, I also co-host a podcast with another one with Billy and my friend Jack Vanek called The First Degree. And then watch Unravels on Discovery Plus. Absolutely. Watch it, everyone. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And I'll see you on another episode of Betrayal. 
For fan reactions and more, head over to crimefeed.com slash podcasts. And for more true crime TV like this, be sure to download the Discovery Plus app today. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch Sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.